Hi there, welcome to Shiloh Tabernacle London. We're located in South East London in Woolwich Dockyard, Block 1, Unit 9, Dockyard Industrial Estate, Woolwich Church Street, SC18 5PQ. Join us for our Bible study every Friday from 7.30 to 9pm and you can't miss our Sunday services packed with prayer, vibrant worship and a powerful word. First service is 9am to 10.30 followed by our family service from 10.30 to 12.30. And now for the best part, let's get into the word. Praise God. Can I have your seat? Brother Kagolo, so happy to see you. I was telling him how, how great Shiloh is. And then, uh, and then he said to me, that's family. And I didn't believe him, but now I see he's gone. <laughs> he's, he's a brother from another man. Hallelujah. Uh, so we, we prayed already, so we're just going to get into the word. There's a, there's a story of a, of, a, of a certain pastor I wanted to share with you. Um, the story was told of a pastor who was a single. He was a single man. And uh, one day, uh, someone from his uh, congregation um, saw him at night sneaking out of a, of a house, of a woman's house. And then as, as we are, word spread and the, the whole church was aware. And the next time, another member of the, the congregation saw the same pastor coming out. And it was at night. So they got really, they spoke among themselves and thought, okay, we have to confront this. One day, so it got to the point where the pastor was preaching and he had lost the whole crowd, because they know what he's been up to. So they thought they'd get together and uh, confront him, and rightly so, because some pastor get away with the Lord. Uh, so this particular Sunday, this lady comes into church. Pastor preaches his lungs out. He's happy. He's making eye contact with this woman every minute. He's saying, I'm happy, and, and the audience is like, I bet you are. They are seeing every move. So he preaches and he does the altar call. So the, this very, very woman comes, gives her life to Christ. At this point, the pastor's in tears, he's crying. And he's crying, but he's saying these are tears of joy. He says to the woman, don't go. I need to say a few words. The people are watching him. They sing, okay, he's going to come clean now, the pulpit. They're just waiting anxiously. After crying, he gives her a hug. A really, really long hug. At the pulpit. He gives her a long hug. And he says, the reason why I'm crying. Because this woman. Is the only. And then he stops there. He's my only name. He stops there and starts crying. <laughs> then he said, the reason why I'm crying is because this woman. We have the same mom and the same dad. And the whole congregation just fell down. They started crying. Some started calling mercy. Mercy Lord, mercy Lord. They were crying. Some started tongues. 
people started repenting. Because of the words that they had spread. So pastor's confused. People are just crying. and Unbeknown to him, they had spread words around him. He's doing this, he's doing this. No one had spoken to him and asked him what's going on. So they just run with the word. And today I'm going to share with you the power of words. Uh, first scripture. Matthew 12, 36. I'll read from the message. Uh, Matthew 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. It says, you have minds like a snake pit. A snake pit is a, is a pit full of poisonous snakes. It says, you have minds like a snake pit. How do you suppose what you say is worth anything when you're so full-minded? He says, it's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. It's what you mean with the word, not what the dictionary says. It's your heart, not the dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. An evil person is a blight on the orchard. Blight in the orchard is a garden full of beautiful plants, and then the blight is like an outbreak, like a pestilence comes and there's an outbreak and it kills all the plants. So your words are like a blight on the orchard. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time for reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can be your damnation. In my life, I don't even remember how many beatings I got from, from my teachers at school or from my mom. But I remember the words they said to me. The Bible says, death and life is in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, they eat fruit of it. People have killed themselves because of words that have been said to them. People have switched to self-loathing themselves, hate themselves. Because of words that have been said to them. Can I have James 3 from 5 to 10? James 3 from 5 to 10. Message as well. Dreams have been killed because of words. James 3 from 5 to 10. It says, A word of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. 
By our speech, we can ruin the world. We can turn harmony into chaos. We can throw mud at a rep- on a reputation and send the whole world up in a smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. He says, this is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild. A wanton killer. A wanton killer is one who kills without emotions. They wait for you to beg for mercy. I have got kids, please don't kill me. And they kill you while they're laughing. He says, a word. Words are a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God, our Father. With the same tongues, we cast the very men and women he made his, his image. And he ends with an exclamation mark, which he usually used when there's a lot of emotion, strong emotions. Like he's confused. James, they say that tongue is like a rudder of a, of a big ship. It's small but it can control everyone on the boat, on the ship. Meaning that you could say just a small little word and that could control someone's life where, where they go, where they, where they take it from there. And here's the thing, in Genesis 2.16 God says to Adam Of all these trees, you can eat. But this tree, don't eat from this tree. Those are the words God said, Adam. He says, from this tree, you do not eat. Then in Genesis 3, the serpent comes to Eve. And he says, do I understand that? He says these words to Eve. The theme is words. Do I understand that the God said, do not eat f- from this tree in this garden? And then Eva went on, and, and, and the serpent said, oh, that's rubbish. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Eat from it. Words. But what's fascinating is that although these words were not true, they had power in them. If someone comes and calls me a loser, although I know I'm not a loser, that power, that word has power. It doesn't matter if it's true. Whether it's wrong. But when it gets to someone, these words got into Eve. She believed them. And the power in the word was activated. And he accomplished what the devil intended. Words break. Words build. Words have sent people into depression. You make an assessment. People tell you that they call them these words when they were young. They still remember them. So so said I'm fat or ugly or I'm a fool and These words, whoever said them, may not necessarily remember. But because words have power, they still have a grip on this person. 
most people with the body dysmorphia, they hate themselves. They think they look fat, even when they're small. When they're small, they think it's words that have been said to them, bullying words have been said to them, and then they've believed them, and then the power in the word suddenly is activated, and they live with it. And you said you just move along with life. So today I want to focus on you who's been the recipient of those words. No one who says the words. How do you turn these words that have been said to you around? God is amazing. In order to show his sovereignty, his God, his sovereign. He gets the very thing that the devil uses and uses the very thing to turn it around, to disempower it, takes the sting out of it just to show that I can play your game. That's why I call the message TikTok. Because I got excited. He thought I said TikTok. I said tit for tat. That's why I call the message tit for tat. He, he could use anything else he wants. But then he thinks, I'm going to use the very thing that you used. Just to disarm it. To take the sting out of it. Just to show you who's the boss. For example, the devil used, he thought death would be the end of us. Then Christ comes and says, no, no, no. You have to be a new creation. One that is clothed with Christ. And in order to do that, you have to die. So you see what? He uses death as the gateway to the new life. So if you want a new life, then you want to die. By die, I mean not the physical death. Dying. Because the real you is not who you used to be. The real you now, those who are in Christ, is the one who died, exchanged your life at the altar and got the life of Christ. That's why he says, clothe yourself with Christ. There's an argument I actually have. If God really loves you, I know, I'm provoking your thinking. Because is he you who loves? He loves? I mean the old you, the real you is the one Who's clothed in Christ? Does God really give? Or he gives to his son? He loves his son. He says he's the way, the truth, and life. Everything he has put into Christ. You can't get to God unless you go through Christ. So that means when he gives you, is he giving to the old you or is he giving to his son, Christ? Just something to think about. So the devil uses death. God comes and uses death. In order to be renewed, you have to die. We actually long for that. I want to die and be like Christ. The Bible says we die with Christ. We died because the devil tempted us with the fruit. God says, okay, then why he does say, I need to restore these people. Then he brings a fruit. 
who is Christ. John 3.16. As the fruit of love. So we fell because of the fruit. He restores us with the fruit. He said, don't eat from this tree. We ate from the tree. We died. He comes and dies on a tree to restore us. The cross. We are empowered by sin. He comes and says, okay. I am going to become that sin so I can restore them. So you see there's a pattern. He's using the same thing. Remember last time I shared with you when he told Moses, make a, a snake, put it on the pole. And then later in, 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 in John 3, 14, he says, that snake they put on the pole, that was Jesus. Because we had, we had fallen because of the serpent, then he becomes the serpent to restore us. He's tit for tat. He, he doesn't bother with other things. He say, I'm going to use the very thing that you're using just to show you that you have no power. We used to, well, I wasn't there, but we used to kill lambs. Every now and again, lambs, kill a lamb, kill a lamb. Because we keep sinning to atone for our sins. He comes as the lamb to replace those lambs that were being killed. We were required to sacrifice every now and again. Sacrifice with the blood of innocent animals. He comes with the blood to end all the blood shedding. Adam and Eve, when they cast, he lined them up and God and cast them. Jesus comes as the curse to restore us from the curse. So therefore, if you have been killed, destroyed, the words have finished you. You're in prison, you're chained by words. Guess what he's going to use to restore you? The word. I introduce you the word of God. John 1.1. 1, 1. He says in the beginning. So he, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Three more things were made. And nothing was made that hasn't been made. I've studied this just wondering why he said the word. He wasn't trying to be poetic. He wasn't trying to play with words because everything in the Bible, comma, it's full stop. Everything has, there's a purpose to it. And I realized that I, the reason why he introduces him first as the word is because of the words that have killed the church. And he said, for those words, I'm going to give you the word because that's his pattern to disempower the enemy, to take the sting out of those words. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Meaning that before anything, before that word what was said to you, before those words that broke you, before they were there, before the person who said it was there, what was there? the ancient word
And the word was with God. And the word was with God. I was thinking, what, what, why, why didn't he just say, because there's power in the word. Why did he have to be with God? Then you realize that words don't speak. Words are spoken. He put power, dominion, authority, everything in the word. But he stays the word. It can't speak itself. So he comes and stands with the word. So he can speak it. Genesis 1.1 and John 1.1 are very similar. Because it says Genesis 1.1, the word was formless. There was nothing. And what did he say? Remember the word was there in the beginning. But it couldn't do anything. So God spoke it. Let there be light. And there was light. The word has all the possibilities that God possesses. Just like Christ, who's the word, can't come and force you to give your life to him. He's not some sort of dictator or or rapist or he's not going to force you. If you have the word, you claim you have the word and you don't speak it. You don't engage with it. It's of no use. With all the power that is in it. In order to activate that, you have to speak the word. And it says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made. Through him all things were made. He's saying, if there's a vacuum in your life, an emptiness, there's a hole, something that's really missing. All things were made by the word. That means the word, once spoken, can make that thing. That emptiness, you just speak it. And when you notice, he says, all things were made. It's all past, past tense. Everything, we're still seeing new things today. But everything was made in the past. It's packed in the word. Nothing you think you want. That emptiness, that deficit that you have in your life. You speak the word. Because everything you see, everything you haven't seen, is within the word. And this isn't just positive psychology. This isn't just motivational speaking. This is reality. Of which you who was listening to this was made from the word. You were a product of the word. When I speak about the word, I don't even mean the Bible. The Bible is not the word of God. The Bible is a product of the word of God. So there are almost 4,000, almost 4,000 versions of the Bible in the world. 
in, in, in order to come up with a version, it has to be different from the other because of copyright. You can't print the same. So that means we have 4,000 different types of words. So which is the right word of God? Confusing. But it, the Bible is the product of the word. It was made by the word. Psalms 107, 20 says, he sent out his word and healed them to accomplish his purpose. He says his word doesn't return to him void. The word is more powerful than prayer. The Bible says, I'm not sure where the scripture is, it says, when a strong man is guarding his, his property, is safe. But he says, when an even stronger man comes, he arrests him, arrests him, ties him up, and does whatever he wants with his spoils. The devil has some power. Let's not lie, he has power. I shared with you when he took the world to heaven, this guy took the world to heaven with God and Jesus in heaven. He was fighting them. He, he had like a, you see, a third of the angels with him. This guy had power. So he says, when a strong man is guarding his property, he's safe. But when an even stronger man, when the word comes, he arrests these words that you have been said to you, that have hurt you, and chains them. And overpowers them. And he does whatever he wishes with them. It's the word that brings an end to all these words. The power in all these words have been said to you. If you've been hurt by any words, I want you to listen carefully. Cain, we know the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain... He gave a sacrifice to God, but then his sacrifice wasn't accepted. Abel gave a good sacrifice. Cain didn't give a good sacrifice because he wasn't able. So, in Genesis 4, God calls them and says, you've killed a man. I want you out of Eden. I want you out of the garden. Then he was acting tough, but now he's crying. He's a chicken. He says, if you send me away from your presence, they are going to kill me. Then God, full of mercy, says, no, no one's going to kill you. If anyone kills you, I'll avenge them seven times. Now, seven times in the Bible is completeness the word in seven days and then he rested when you've completed seven is completeness fullness he says if God says if everyone kills Cain I'm going to avenge them seven times as in completely probably kill them God does kill and then so Cain has children along the lines I think fourth or third generations he has a great 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 son called Lamech Lamech is the first guy 
what's a guy? He's the first guy with two wives in the Bible, all sorts. He says in Genesis 23, Genesis 23, uh, I read it, yes, he says, Lamech said to his wives, Adon, Zillah, he said, listen to me. These are the words he's saying to his wives, Lamech, the great, great, great grandson of Cain. And he said, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for injuring me. Someone wounded him, killed him. Someone wounded him, killed him. So, so for the first one, he avenged seven times, as in completely. For the, seven, the other guy who wounded him, he killed him completely. Like God had said, whoever kills Cain, I'll avenge him seven times. Right? Are you following? And then he says in 24, he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, who is great, great, great grandfather? He says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, he's busting 77 times. As in completely, completely. You mess with me, I finish you twice over. Now, if you fast forward to Matthew 18, can I have the, the, uh, the scripture if you can? Matthew 18, Jesus, the word, He's with the, with the disciples. Peter goes to Jesus and say, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? Do you have that scripture? Matthew 18, 20. Eight, 18, 20, yes. Uh -huh. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother, shall I forgive my brother um, if they sin against me? And I forgive, they say, up to seven times? Jesus said, no, no. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Because there was a curse in the family, Cain had killed, Lamech has killed twice because sin you know, gets pregnant and, you know, has kids leading to death. Jesus, the word, knows there's a curse now is going. So he says, no, you have to forgive 77 times, putting an end to that curse. The, that generation sort of, that spirit of revenge and, and unforgiveness within that family, the bloodline. God says, in he's relating to that. When Lamech said, whoever avenges me, I'll kill them seven times, seven times. He said, no, no, forgive. He uses the same thing. D do you get it there? Genesis 3.17. This is Adam and Eve. They've sinned. They've eaten the fruit. God is really, really vexed. He calls them up, lines them up. And he said, I'm going to curse you. He says, I'm going to curse you. So to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Then he curses with the words. This is God. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through pain, 
toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And he says, um, could you continue, please? Uh -huh. He says, every food you eat, you get it from the ground. Okay. And he says, but now listen, I've cast the ground. Because every time you go to look for food, all that you're going to see is thorns and thistles from the ground. Adam has been told you, you're going to be the one responsible for feeding your wife and your family. And you're going to get all the food from the ground. But every time you dig the ground, all, you're going to, all that's going to come out is thorns and thistles. Thorns, bring, thorns don't kill. They bring discomfort, pain, discomfort, just the suffering that's endless. The bleeding. Just, that's why in all areas of our lives, there are thorns. Work, thorns, marriages, thorns, relationship, families, schools, everything you do, there's this discomfort, there's suffering, there's, because everything we've eaten, everything is because of that curse. The word being the word. Remember he said he became a curse to end the curse? He comes in. Before the word was crucified. Do you remember the crown of thorns he was wearing? That was to put an end to these thorns. Because he didn't just remove the curse, he became the curse. He experiences the very thing to end the very thing. He comes and wears the crown of thorns. Had he not that now, every man would be running away from work because working is a, a curse. But if a man today loses his job, he probably thinks he's less of a man. I mean, I mean a man who's sensible. They would want to work. But why would you want to work when it's a curse? Because Jesus had come, the word, and taken the sting out of a curse. And it's now a blessing. That's why we testify when you get a job. He says, by the sweat of your bro, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Sweat. Everything we do, sweat, sweat, sweat. That is a curse. If you remember well when the word was in the garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he was sweating profusely. Sweating profusely. He was breaking that curse, this curse, sweating. The victory of the world, the victory of Christ was actually not on the cross. At the cross, he was just completing everything. The real victory was in, in the garden of Gethsemane. And that's why at the cross, he didn't cry. 
He didn't even sweat at the cross. He had taken the sting out of his cross. At the cross he just said, it's finished, I'm done now. Breaking the curse. And he goes to the woman. He says, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. John 19.34 says, one of the soldiers pierced him in the ribs. And what comes out? He says, blood and water comes out. He became a curse. He didn't just remove the curse. He became it. If you've been to labor, you know what comes out when those pains are going on. It's the blood. It's the water. The water's broken. It's the two things. He says, let me experience this. So I take this sting out of this curse. That's why today women will be running away from having children because it's a curse, because the pain that comes with it. But if a woman wants to have a child, they will pray, they will fast, if I'm a dodgy pastor, I can tell them anything and they will do it because they're yearning for that curse, which was a curse. But because the word comes and takes the sting out of the curse and turns what was a curse into a blessing, every woman The Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So all these things you're talking about, the word has been there. He has been that. That's why he comes to you in the form of the word to break, to break that curse. If you look at all the curses, these are the very things that give us identity and meaning. A man has to work. Why do you want to work? Because it's a curse. No, it's no longer a curse. Work is a blessing. A woman wants to have children. The devil thought he had us. But the word comes and takes him at his game. That's why I called it tick for tat. In Genesis 15, Abraham says to God, I haven't got a child. I've got many things. You've given me all these riches, but I haven't got a son. I need a son to be a heir to take this over. Let me read it. Um, Genesis 15. I'm childless. I need a heir. This is Abraham saying to God. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man would be here because it was it was saying uh, I've got like a like a like a sort of like a houseboy like a servant. Is he gonna be my hair and take all my stuff? He said, No, no, don't worry. God said a word to them. Just don't worry. This guy is not gonna be your hair. I'm gonna give you a hair. And he say, God says to Abraham, Come, come outside and see. Look at the stars. Can you see them? Can you count all them? He say, You see how many those stars are? That's the offspring I'm gonna give you. Abram, I don't blame him. He doesn't believe God. He says, just how do I know this is actually going to happen? How do I know this is actually going to happen? 
God says to him, okay, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. But with covenants, you keep your terms and conditions. I keep mine. You break it, you get the consequences. And this is why he said to him, um, yes, can I go to uh, nine, please? You say, I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with you as proof that I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you the offspring as many as the stars. This is why we're here. We're offsprings of Abram. So he says, so the Lord said to him, he said, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a, and a young pigeon. Keep going. Abram brought all these to him. Cut them in two. And arranged the halves opposite each other. The buds. However, it did not cut in half. Um, so what happens, just to give you a backdrop. Um, the, the way of doing that covenant. They would bring animals. Cut them in two. And put the head here. And then the, the other side, the abdomen here. The head here. Cut them in two. And line them up. Living like a, like a thing that the models walk in. Runway. Yes, runway. So, so he cuts animals in half, leaving a runway in the middle. This is how they were making covenants. So what they would do, the two people who are making covenants, they would just come and walk in the middle of the pathway when the animals are on each side. And the point was of walking in the path on, 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 the, on the runway, it's like, it's a reminder that if you break this covenant, I'm going to cut you into two pieces like these animals. So he tells them, bring the animals, cut them in two, line them up. So Abram goes and lines them up. And now he's sitting waiting for God to come and finish the, the covenant with him. Twelve. He says, but as the sun, no, yeah, as the sun was setting, he's waiting. Abram fell into a deep sleep. You sleep at work. He just slept. He's waiting for God. He says, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, not for certain that, for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers as a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Fourteen. But, yes, but I'll, be punished, I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. So I want to show you quickly what happened with, with, with the They've lined up. He's falling asleep now. Um, should we go to 17? See if it's... Good. It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, he's asleep. He's waiting for God. Guess what appears? A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. They're passing through the, the runway. Without Abraham, 
But he was supposed to represent us. Now, God has decided. He's actually doing the covenant, but there's something new. There's another party who's supposed to be Abram. But because Abram fell asleep, there's someone else who comes in to represent us. Have I lost you? He's the thing. It says, A smoking firepot. God has already shown himself many times in the Bible as the firepot. You know that the cloud of fire? You know the fire on the mountain? Consuming fire. That. The burning bush? This is all God. So we know this is God. But then there's someone else who's standing in, in the part of Abraham. Who the Bible calls the blazing torch. Other Bibles call him a different name. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and light to my path. Your word, your word is a light. They call him the lamp. Some other words, instead of saying the burning torch, say the lamp. Guess who comes in and steps in to take Adam Abraham's place? This is Jesus, the Word. But why? I hear you ask. That's a great question. If you read Psalms, no, Genesis 16, that was 15. If you go to 16, the wife of Abraham couldn't wait. She went and told him. I want to have a child. Sleep with this maid so we can have a child. Abram, being, I mean, but that's for another time. He didn't even, he didn't even, he said, okay. And he goes and sleeps with a servant and they have a child. You know when you push someone who's already on the floor? He didn't even say, but what did God tell us? Oh, well, wait on the Lord. Or some, some nice word to hear. She, she said, go and sleep with him so I can have a child. I said, okay. He goes and sleeps with him. The Bible says, God, he sets the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen. So the word knew that in the next chapter, Genesis 16, Abram was going to violate the covenant. And if you violate the covenant, they were going to cut you like these animals on the floor. So the word comes in and walks through the run with his dad to represent man. Because had he not done that, Abram would be a dead man. He would have been chopped into two because God kills that's why I had to send the word to come and plead our case to him. He kills. 
so the word who's Jesus knowing what was going to happen this guy he's going to he's going to sleep with the maid and they're going to kill him he comes and jumps in and makes the covenant with his dad on our behalf Colossians 3:1 and I finish Colossians 3 from 1 to 4. Can I have the message please? He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, then act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. The word president comes from the word being in charge. The presiding officer, the ones in charge. The, it's a pursue things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. He says that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Next please. See things from his perspective. Your old life dead. Remember as I said we we are longing to die so we can clothe Christ so we can be a new creation. Your old life is dead. Your new life which is your real life even though invisible to spectators is with Christ in God. He's your life. When Christ your real life remember shows up against again on the earth you will show up too the real you the glorious you meanwhile be content with obscurity christ obscurity is when they don't understand they, they, they can't work you out you are not predictable you're different to the patterns of the world That's why they call us mad because we'll be obscure to them we move in obscurity no one can work us out unless if you're the family when you say to someone that speak the word over these words they'll think you're deluded but he says be content with obscurity be content with being different because you are different Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for now we understand that the words that broke us, there is the word that breaks them. Disempowers, it takes out the sting. It turns what was meant to be 
the end of us into the beginning of us. We thank you for your endless mercy, the grace never ending. We thank you for the truth. Your word, your word says that and you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Father, we know the truth which means that how much free you are today is directly proportionate to the truth that you know. We invite you more truth into us so that it disarms the, the lies and the, the evil words that we've heard. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the word that works endlessly. The power that you packed in the word. That works endlessly on our behalf. All we need to do is just speak the word. Because it can't speak. It can't force ourselves on us. Teach us how to engage with the word. Speak the word. Where there is emptiness, everything was made from the word. Where there's a, a deficit in your life, there's something missing, there's a hole. He says, the word that creates can make something to fill it up. Speak the word. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon and I know you've been blessed. For more information about Shiloh Tabernacle and other sermons, please visit our website www.shiloh.org.uk and don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Shiloh LDN. Once again, that's at Shiloh LDN. You've been listening to Shiloh Tabernacle London, changing lives, building dreams. Until next time, God bless.